Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and go to the very familiar passage of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look this morning at the message and the story of the nativity, really from the eyes of uh, Mary and Joseph and how it also affects us. You've heard these words so many times, but they're such beautiful words. And of course, one of the ways, at least people my age, I'm not sure really much younger people, but one of the people my age uh, remember them so well is, is at, on the Charlie Brown Christmas special when, uh, uh, you know, out of frustration, he doesn't know what Christmas is all about. And Linus uh, tells him, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And Linus, by the way, Linus always carries his blanket with him, right? His security blanket everywhere he goes. It's interesting, probably the most smartest, the smartest and most uh, 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 cosmopolitan character on, on uh, uh, Peanuts is one that needs the security blanket. So he's always carrying his security blanket with him. But if you watch the video, if you watch the show, uh, when Linus begins to read the Gospel of Luke, he drops his security blanket. It's really the only time you don't ever see a Linus with a blanket because when you're talking about the Gospel, you don't, you don't need a blanket. And uh, Charles Schultz was a Christian and understood what that meant. Um, when they came out with the idea of doing the Christmas special, um, CBS and all the sponsors, Coca-Cola, did not want a cartoon character reading the second chapter of the book of Luke. Uh, they felt like that just wouldn't work. But Charles Schultz absolutely insisted on it. And uh, we're grateful that he did because the gospel, that message has gone out to many people who would never have heard it before. But Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was first done when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth and to her firstborn son, and, and she wrapped him up in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room to place them in the inn. Father, we thank you for this story. We've heard it so many times, but Lord, open our eyes and our ears today to hear it and see it and melt our heart to soften it so that we can experience in the way that you want us to. I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Much of what you think of when you think of the nativity isn't shaped by these words of Luke in God's inerrant and infallible word, but it's shaped by the visions that artists and others have created around the nativity, as we call it. And I, I want this morning, I want you to see Christmas through the eyes in a sense of Mary and Joseph and what they experienced. And I want you to see the reality of what this was actually like. There isn't any of us in this room this morning that everything in our life is perfect. And frankly, as we move toward holidays, sometimes the imperfections become even more painfully clear. Hear all these songs and all this stuff about home for the holidays and family for the holidays. And the reality of it is... All of us have messed up families. None of us have perfect families. We all have children and parents and in-laws and, 
and, and so forth and that, that we don't always get along with. We have some disrupted relationships. Some of you have very disrupted relationships with your biological parents or your biological children. Some of you have lost loved ones this past year, as I have, my sister, and this is going to be a very different Christmas without them, and, and so on. And, and so many times what the culture sort of tells us is that this is a time of incredible joy, incredible happiness, but be with your friends, be with your family, and grateful that that can happen on occasions. And, but also we know, right, if we've lived long enough, it's also a time that reveals many times the uncertainty, the pain, the difficulties of relationships, of life itself. And the reality is that when Jesus was born into this world, from the standpoint of Mary and Joseph, it looked pretty chaotic. It looked pretty unsettled. It really didn't look like maybe God was really in control of all of this. Go back with me a couple of weeks where, where the angel comes to Mary and says, guess what, young girl? <laughs> you, you've never been with a man, but you're going to be pregnant. And she said, how can this be? He said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and, and you're going to give birth to a child. It's really God incarnate. And then the, the angel comes to Joseph, who's already thinking about how he's going to have to put Mary away and try to protect her. And he can't marry her, obviously, because she's been unfaithful to him. And, and yet the angel comes and says, you can marry her because she's not been unfaithful to you. The child in her was of the Holy Spirit. And, and so Joseph loves her and cares for her, and, and they have to share this together. So even the way they're starting their marriage is not like they had planned by any stretch of the imagination. And then what happens? Well, Joseph is a carpenter. You know, carpenters in the first century, they didn't really build houses. They didn't have enough wood in that part of the world to build a house out of wood. Carpenters in the first century primarily built some agricultural tools and, and some furnishings. Well, you can imagine if Joseph is a carpenter, what's one of the things he's, I'm just, I'm assuming here, but I think you could make the assumption he's going to be building something to put the baby in, right? He's going to build a, a, a crib or a, a bed for the baby. Certainly he is. Maybe build some other things for the house that'll make Mary's life more comfortable. And as he's excited to do that and and, of course, Mary's mother and sisters are around her, and she's this young teenage girl, and she's going to have her first child. And so they're anxious to be with her and help her through that so that when she's going through all these labor pains, her, her sisters, her mother, her aunt can all be telling her what to expect and how to handle it and, and be there and what a comfort it is for her to have those, the people around her. And, of course, Joseph has all of his family, his, and no doubt his brothers and other kinfolk that are there. And he's there. To, and, and so that's what they're looking forward to. And then what happens? Well, the government gets involved. And when the government got involved, there wasn't anything that could be done. Mary and Joseph couldn't say, well, we can't go because, no, they had to go. And, what, and all of a sudden... It wasn't just at any time. It was like in her ninth month, right at the time she should give birth. That he has no choice but to put her on a donkey and take this long and perilous journey from way up in Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. It's not the way they planned it. Can I just tell you that sometimes your life and my life is not the way we plan it. We think, well, where's God in all of this? And they make this long and perilous journey and they get to Bethlehem, which was really the, the, the hometown of David's family. Because 
the Roman emperor said everybody has to go back to their hometown in order to be counted. So we have a census. We know how many people are in the empire. We know how much to tax them, right? That's, that's the deal. So he has to go back to his family's hometown of Bethlehem. Well, they get there. It, it's a crowded place. Now, I realize we have over here a, a, a nativity scene, probably very much like one you have in your house. Look, a little barn built to hold a family of three. That's what it looks like. And I understand the imagery, and, and all that, but, but that's not what it looked like. Are you with me? It's not. And it probably wasn't even in December, although some people will disagree with me about that. But I mean, generally speaking, the shepherds were not in their fields in December. But I don't want to totally ruin I don't want to be Scrooge all over your Christmas, but nonetheless. But, but still, it, it, whatever time it was, they get into Bethlehem. And here's what we do know about the birth of Jesus. Not what, not what we see on television, not what's on your Christmas cards, not what's on the plays, not, not what we've been taught in culture. All we know about the birth of Jesus is what's in the book of Luke right here. And this is what Luke tells us. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Doesn't say they were in a stable, does it? We're not sure where they were. When she gave birth to him. It's possible they were still on the street. There was no place to go. The community was filled. All we know is that after she gave birth. She had to place him in a feed trough. Because there was nowhere else to lay him. Now it is also possible. And maybe perhaps even likely that they were in the household of some family member. Remember, this is Joseph's family. First of all, there's no innkeeper in the Bible. Okay? If you played the innkeeper in the play, good for you. But there's no innkeeper in the Bible, all right? And he didn't go to the door and say, well, I don't have any room. You can use my barn out back. That did not happen. All right? They didn't have like... Motel 6 there. You didn't have, you didn't pull up to the inn. That, that was not the deal. There were perhaps places that would rent people rooms, but there was no room in that. Obviously, they got out of town. There's no way they're going to get a, a rented room. Those are already filled up. There's no room in the inn. That's just like a given. You're showing up, you're showing up, you know, uh, and, and, and there's just no place to stay. That's, that's a given. So it's quite possible they, they stayed with perhaps some of Joseph's family, and, and there would have been, in that case too, if you want to look at it this way, I had a, last year I think, or maybe it was another church I was at, I'm in a lot of churches, I had a, a little drawing of it, but that someone, had, some, some historians had made, but a normal house in the first century, uh, in that part of the world, might have had a sort of a little room that would have been sort of a guest place that could have been called the inn. But there was no room in the inn because it was probably filled with other people. And Mary is going to give birth, right? And so you need some kind of privacy place. And so nearly every family had a place where the animals were kept. And so whether it was 
a family member who had a house and they, they were staying there, but there was no place for her to give birth. And so they moved out to the, to the place in the courtyard where the animals kept or whether it was a literal inn. And they, I, we don't know. But the point of this is this. None of that really matters. All that matters is this. It's not how Mary and Joseph expected it to happen. That that first night, listen to me, that first night, as she's going through those pains of childbirth, there's no mother for her to hang on to. There's no sisters to come around her and hold her hand. There's no aunts there who can help her and be with her through all that pain. There's no, there's no brothers and relatives of, of Joseph there from Bethlehem that could walk alongside him in that hour. And it's dark. And there's no little bed that Joseph has made for the baby. They're not in comfortable, familiar surroundings. They're in a place that they don't know, in a place that's packed with people. And when this baby is finally born, there's no place to lay him except in a feed trough. I know we say the word manger. That has a wonderful little sweet little Christmas sound to it, like a way in a manger. But it's really a way in a feed trough. It's where a few hours ago cattle were eating out of. So you can imagine with me. It's dark. This, this, this poor child has just had a baby with, with really no one around her to probably help her understand that and do that the best she could. And, and Joseph's like that. And, and so all of a sudden, now we've got to keep this baby warm. We've got to find a place to lay the baby. Mary has to rest. There's, no, there's a feed box. There, there's a place here where the animals are kept, either outside the home of a family member or outside the, of a rented place, wherever it is. But here's the deal. We didn't plan any of this. This is not how we expected it. We'll do the best we can. We'll wrap the baby up in some swaddling clothes. And, and, and Joseph will try to clear out the feed box and look around and find the freshest, cleanest, driest straw he can find. Fill it in there. Make it as clean as he can. And lay the little baby there. In the darkness of that night. In that strange and unfamiliar place. That they never planned to be. I just want you to know, if you're in a place in your life right now that you feel like it's a dark place, a strange place, a place you never planned to be, that does not mean that God is not present there. Sometimes we feel like if things aren't going just right, where is God? He was right there. The angel said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. Jesus Christ came for you. He didn't come for him. Listen to me carefully. God is not up there in heaven lonely and needed to create you and me so he could have fellowship with somebody. God has no needs whatsoever. God is completely content in God. He doesn't need anything. We bring nothing to him. We can offer him nothing. But for his glory and his purpose, he created us and he chose to love us. And the greatest thing he could give us is himself. And so unto you, a child is born. Jesus came for you. I know there are times you and I think, is my life worth anything? I make so many mistakes. I've messed it up so badly. Does anybody really care? Am I really loved? Am I really cared for? The answer is a huge resounding, yes, you're loved by the God of the universe. Because unto you, a Savior is born. He came to you. 
Unto you, the Savior is born. Unto you this day. Unto you this day. What day? This day. God's timing is perfect. Often we think, well, God's late. You know what? He may be late, but he's always on time. (laughs) God may be late from the way we see it, but he's always perfectly on time. There's a time and a place for everything, and God is perfectly on time. It was the perfect day in all of history for this child to be born. God knew exactly the hour, exactly the day. Unto you, because he loves us. On this day, God is completely and sovereignly in control. And then this word, in the city of David, Bethlehem. Let me ask you this. This came from John Piper. Let me, this is so cool. I love this. If, if prophecy was that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, well, why didn't God just pick a virgin who lived in Bethlehem already? Why did he have to pick a virgin who lived way up in Nazareth? And then figure out how to get her down there to Bethlehem. Because God wants to show his power and his glory. He can do anything. Listen to me. He can even move the heart of a pagan emperor in Rome. To create a census. So that it would move a little girl and her betrothed from Beth, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God showed us in this story, he can do anything. He can use anything. Listen to me. And you think of all, oh, dear church, you think of all the people who complained and moaned about why this is happening, why we have to make these journeys, and why you have to do all this. And God, for his glory, revealed that he can control everything. He can get this young girl, this young virgin, this young teenage girl. He can get her and her betrothed from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. He can do that. You know how he can do it? Ah, he'll just, he'll just, Caesar thinks he thought this up, but he didn't. God moved his heart to do this. God is showing us, even in this story, the whole world responds to him. That's who God is. So that the child would be born in the city of David. Wow. That's awesome. When it looks like everything's falling apart from the standpoint of Mary and Joseph. When it looks like things can completely come off the rails. That that, that Caesar's in control and not God. We see just the opposite. God's in control of everything. Even in control of Caesar. It's just the way God wanted it. It's just the way prophecy said it would be. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That's what you and I need is a Savior. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when the angel told Joseph he will save his people from their sins. You and I need a Savior. There's a lot of things we can do on our own in a sense. We can, we can work a job. We can grow a family. We can, we can build a house. You know, God gives us the ability to do all those things. But you, 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 can't, you can't save yourself. We, we, we talked this morning about disaster relief. You know, you could take 
you could, you, could, you could sell everything you have today. Every, you could liquidate every dollar you have. Sell your house, sell your cars, sell your land, cash in your 401ks. You could take every dollar you have and you could give it to people who are in need right now. And you could, you could, you could take every dollar you ever make and you could give it to people who are in need. In fact, you could take the last few dollars you have and you could buy a plane ticket to the poorest country in the world and you could spend your life handing out food and feeding people and caring for people until the day you die. And it wouldn't buy you five minutes. It wouldn't buy you five seconds in heaven. You must have a savior to see heaven. You must have a savior to avoid hell. You can't do that for yourself. That's why the good news is a Savior has come. One to rescue you. I heard the other night in the lyric of a song, this, these words. The baby was held by a manger. But that baby could not be held by the grave. He came and was held by a manger, but he was never held by the grave. He defeated death for us. Unto you a Savior has come. Oh, dear friends, this morning, I know what it's like, and you know what it's like to think our life is chaotic and unpredictable, and, and God seems absent at times. But if the story of Christmas tells us anything, if the story of Christmas shares anything with us, and it shares so very much, it says that God is intimately involved in every detail of existence. And it's all going according to his plan. That's why we can rest in the sovereignty of God. That's why those of us who have followed Jesus and called him our Lord and our Savior and realize he has saved us and he has redeemed us, even though we have difficulties and challenges and darknesses and, and struggles and heartaches and fears and it looks like things are out of control, at the end of the day we can lay our head on the pillow and we can say, we know God has got this. He has it. Just as he had it that night, again, go back to their eyes of someone watching them. You think, what in the world? This is the way God comes into the world because Caesar decides to have a census. And this poor young couple has to travel all the way to this town and there's no place to stay. She gives birth maybe out in the street. And then they take the baby and they wrap him up and they try to put him someplace. They laid him in a feed box and there's no family around. There's no friends around. A bunch of dirty old shepherds show up that they're never going to see again. That's the welcoming party. And God says, yes, I did all of that. I orchestrated every bit of it. I selected this young girl from Nazareth. I selected this great godly man. I put them together. I put it in the heart of, 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 the, of Caesar, the imperial emperor of the known world, to cause a, a, a census to be taken this very moment, to move them exactly at the moment of the birth to Bethlehem, exactly as it was foretold that would happen. And rather than his child be born in comfort, he was born literally homeless that weekend or that, that week and literally played in the place in the feet box so that he could identify, listen, with the majority of humans on this earth who live in complete uncertainty and pain and struggle. And if you don't live that way in terms of your finances and your surroundings, you live that way in your heart in terms of your fears and your anxiety. And he, come, he came, the gospel writer John says, the word, God became flesh and dwelt among us.
And he really did. He dwelt among us. He knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to have no place to live. He knows what it's like to be human. So this Christmas season, if there's some brokenness, if there's some darkness, if there's some difficulty, you're not alone. But I want you to know that light can shine brightest in the darkness. And you can have the absolute assurance that God truly is in control. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me ask you a question. I mean, what would you rather have? You know, a new television or the reality that nothing in your life is ultimately going to be harmful to you if you follow Christ? Wow. That's what, that's what the scripture says. It's not that nothing in your life isn't going to be hurtful. Many things will be hurtful, but they're not going to harm you. They're, they're there for your edification. As, as our brother said this morning, we don't want to become accustomed to sin and feel like it's this normal. We have to get into it. We want to be edified. We want to be more like Christ. We want to be more gracious, more loving, more compassionate. How does that often happen? It happens when we walk through difficulties and challenges and God blows away a lot of the stuff that shouldn't be there. Our pride goes away. Our reliance on ourself goes away. We rely only on him. We see what really matters. He's shaping us and forming us to be like him so that all these things, even the hurts, even the disappointments, even the, the fears that we have, all work together for our good and for God's glory. And that same apostle Paul said, I see through a glass dimly. If you ever had a lived where you had no garage, as I did most of my life, you wake up in the morning and you're a little late to where you got to go, and you don't take time to defrost your windshield, you know what it's like to see through a glass dimly. As <laughs> you kind of try to look through the windshield and think, I probably shouldn't be driving right now. It's not been long, you know. See through a glass dimly. Can't see clearly. Don't really know where I'm going always. Look, there are sometimes in life, you've got to imagine that as Mary and Joseph were taking that long and dangerous journey, and she could feel that child moving, and she began to feel the contractions, and she realized it's not going to wait. It's not going to wait. We're going to have this baby out here. We have nothing. I mean, all we've got is what we brought on with a donkey. I've never had a baby. No, I don't know what I'm doing. And Joseph, and no doubt, they remembered, listen to me, they remembered what the angels had told them. They trusted God. But I got to think at that moment, they were looking through a glass dimly. <laughs> They couldn't really see clearly what God was up to. The Apostle Paul said, but one day, one day, one day, that glass is going to be taken away. There'll be nothing between me and God, and I'll be able to see everything crystal clear. Church, I want you to know that. There'll come a day when you'll be able to look back at your life and go, man, that was exactly the way God wanted it. Just as Mary and Joseph were able to look back and go, God was all over that. 
that night. Can I just encourage you this morning that for those of us who are believers in Christ, the re- one, of the, one of the really important messages of Christmas is that God is in your darkness. God is in the chaos. God is in your uncertainty. He's right there. He's working it for His glory and for your joy. And you can trust Him. He knows what He's doing. In fact, church, listen to me. He's doing far more than you could ever imagine. I just can't get over the fact that God could have... God could have chosen any way to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem that night. But hey, why not just do a whole worldwide census? Do it big! Let the world know that I'm God. I can do anything. If I got to get millions of people to travel because of the whim of an emperor, that's what I'll do. Our God is so big. He is working things out perfectly. I just want you to know as you go through this Christmas, this Christmas is not going to be perfect from the human standpoint in your life. But Jesus is perfect. His love for you is perfect. Unto you was born that day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And he's your Savior, and he's my Savior. And he's a perfect Savior. He loves you very much. And there's nothing going to happen to you if you're his child that he isn't aware of, and he isn't going to work it out for your glory. That's why when the angel says, fear not, I want you to know this morning, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to say you're not going to get sick. We may get sick. I'm not going to say you're not going to die. Some of us may not be here next Christmas. Some of us that were here last Christmas aren't here today. But if you're a child of God, to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. If you're a child of God, the tomb is not the end. It's the, it's the vestibule and the foyer to eternal life. If you're a child of God, there isn't a sickness or disease that's going to be with you for eternity. You're going to be healed of it instantly the moment you're with Jesus. It's all going to work out for his glory and for your joy. You can rest in that. Yeah, right now, it may look uncertain. It may look difficult. It may look like God's not showing up. It may look like he's not in all of this. But if you're his child, he's right there among you, doing it for your glory, his glory and for your joy. However, if you've never repented of your sin, you've never asked him to save you, you're not sure you're a Christian, then you don't have any hope in this world. It is a chaotic world. You are very much vulnerable to everything that comes along. And if it wasn't for every single heartbeat and every single breath you take, which is a gift of God, you are already be separated from loved ones and you'd already be doomed. You are doomed to eternal damnation. But if it weren't for the heartbeat that you still have and the breath in your lungs that is given to you by God, you would be in hell already. Do you understand that? And so you need to make serious the reality that you need a Savior. You may think, well, I don't need one. Yeah, you do. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. It's a real place. It's where you really go for all eternity. If you don't turn from your sin, and ask Jesus to save you and trust him. And then when you do that, you have a home in heaven. You have a Savior. And that's why he came. Father, I thank you for these dear saints and their faith in you and their love for you. Lord, I pray that even this week as they head toward Christmas, what we've said about Christmas will be meaningful to them. There'll be a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty, 
lot of pain, a lot of loss, even in these next few weeks. But help us remember this story, that you were there in the midst of all of that, working it out for our joy and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.